The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Werner Ramirez during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Reverend Ramirez. Good morning. Welcome to the first Sunday after Christmas, which around the country is also known as National Associate Pastor Preaches Sunday. <laughs> Will you please join me in prayer? Holy God, you came incarnate to proclaim good news. May you speak today. May you speak to our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Remove me if you need to. In your name we pray, amen. A scripture from the letter to the Hebrews. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and the ones who are sanctified all have one father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself was tested by what he suffered. He is able to help those who are being tested. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. This Advent and Christmas, we have been looking at the songs we sing during this season and how they can influence our faith. And today, we look at one of the most popular songs we sing during Christmas, Joy to the World. But what if I told you that Joy to the World was not a Christmas song? Now, I'm seeing some confused looks on some of your faces. What do you mean, Werner? This is the anthem we sing every Christmas. We celebrate that Christ, God incarnate, came down, and therefore we rejoice and we sing Joy to the World. Yes, you're right. We do that. But look at the lyrics. Where is the baby Jesus? Where is Mary and Joseph? Where are the friendly beast or the magi or the shepherds? They're nowhere in those lyrics. What is probably more accurate is that Joy to the World is an accidental Christmas song. In fact, the original writings were not even meant to be a song at all. In 1719, author Isaac Watts published a book of poems based on the Psalms. Now, Isaac Watts was a scholar and author and hymn writer. 
In his teen years, he complained that the songs in church were too hard to sing. So his dad said, well, write some better ones. And he did. For the next two years, young Isaac wrote a new hymn each week, and the people loved him. And as he continued to write, he published a book of poems based on the Psalms, and he wanted them to reflect the New Testament. And thus, he put a very Christological interpretation on the Psalms. One of those was Psalm 98, and the title of that poem was The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. He interpreted the psalm as a celebration of Jesus' role as king of both church and the whole world. Psalm 98 says, Let the seas roar and all that fill it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Knowing this, it's more accurate to say that joy to the world is more about Christ's future return, Christ's second coming. It's more of an apocalyptic song about when Christ's redemption will be fulfilled and everything will be made right. So with that in mind, re-look at some of those lyrics. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. No more let sin and sorrows grow. And he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. See how these lyrics can also be about Christ's second coming and it being more apocalyptic? See, Isaac writes, as Isaac Watts writes this poem, and then more than a century later, the second half of this poem was slightly adapted and set to music to give us what's become one of the most famous Christmas carols. But why? Why is this apocalyptic poem now a Christmas classic? My hunch is that because deep down, this song is about the mission of God. This conspiracy that God has to redeem all things and to make things right, which includes the healings of nations, this earth, people, you, and me. And for us in the Christian faith, we believe that Jesus came to do that very thing. So when we celebrate the incarnation, when we celebrate God coming as a baby, as a human made of flesh and blood just like ours, we rejoice and we say joy to the world. We just read the lectionary passage for today from the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews doesn't read like your traditional letters in other parts of the New Testament. This letter feels more like a long sermon written to teach and preach the good news of Jesus. We don't know who wrote this letter. Many wonder if it was Paul or Barnabas. And some actually believe that it may have been authored by a woman, specifically Priscilla, one of the early church preachers and missionaries. And in this passage, she writes about a Jesus who is with us. For this past month during Advent, we talked about the anticipation of Jesus' arrival, our Emmanuel, who will be God with us. And here in Hebrews 2, the author claims that in Christ, God has indeed become one of us in human form. That in that baby that we just celebrated being born, that in him, God chose to break into the world and become someone who bleeds like we do, who feels like we do. And in verse 11, it states that because of this, Christ 
is not ashamed to call us siblings. Now, I want you to think how huge this is. The creator of the universe has seen for centuries how people have treated each other and how they have continually messed up and still chooses to come in the form of a human because God loves people, because God loves God's own creation. You see, for us in the Christian faith, we truly believe that Jesus was fully human and at the same time, fully God. And because God became human, God is not ashamed to call us siblings. My mom is extremely close with her sisters. There are six sisters, all Guatemalan immigrants who now live in the greater Los Angeles area. I like to joke like they're the sisterhood of the traveling Guatemalan pants. But they don't always get along. They don't always agree. But yet they love each other so much. They continuously pray for each other. They cry with each other. They laugh together. And they eat together. I'm not kidding. Many times throughout the year, just the six of them, plus my grandma, share a meal together. And they pray for what seems like hours. There is a bond there. One that I cannot see will ever be broken. They truly love each other. They are not ashamed to call each other sisters. And when I read this passage and see that Jesus, God incarnate, calls us siblings, I cannot help but feel humbled that Jesus cares for me, for us, in a similar way that my mom and her sisters care for each other. Therefore, in this Christmas season, we rejoice that God did indeed become a human like us, out of love. And this passage reminds us that Jesus is also with us in our sufferings. This passage reminds us that for whatever reason, suffering exists in this cold and fallen world. And we are not exempt from that. Diseases attacks our bodies, friends betray us. Governments oppress the vulnerable. And at times, at the, in the face of temptation, we, not, we cannot help but succumb to do wrong. Trouble and difficulty will come. And in the midst of that, Jesus, our sibling, is with us. And often when someone is suffering, we make the mistake of saying, hey, cheer up. It's going to be okay. Or everything happens for a reason. And that is sometimes the least comforting thing to hear when one is suffering. Yet what they need is the ministry of presence, the ministry of knowing that one is not alone. Two of my mother's sisters have battled through cancer. It pained my mom and the other sisters to see one of them go through so much pain and struggle. The world seemed like it was falling apart, and they were scared and sad as they saw them lose their hair, huge amounts of weight, and at times the wonderful cheer that they usually have. Yet during that time, the sisters still gathered to eat, to pray, and to be with one another. In fact, they did it more often. They were never alone. Friends, Jesus is that sibling for us that does not leave our side. Yet, it may be hard to feel that at times, especially when we're at the end of our rope. We think, God, you said you're never going to leave our side, but it doesn't feel that way. Where are you? I don't feel you. I need you to be that sibling right now. 
My hope and prayer when you're suffering is that Jesus would reveal Christ's goodness for you. You see, Christ is like a farmer in the midst of a huge storm. The plants are being trampled with all the wind and the rain, and the plants are saying, where is the farmer to take care of us? But yet the plants don't know that the farmer, she's digging trenches and making sure that she can do anything she can to make the harvest survive. Christ is in the midst of our suffering, doing what Christ can do to help you survive. The author of Hebrews reminds us that Christ became one of us, calls us siblings, and is with us in our suffering. Yet this passage doesn't end there. This passage continues to say that Jesus conquers death and brings us salvation. This is both personally and as a community, which brings us back to the hymn. Our hymn today reminds us of what final salvation will look like when Christ's full redemption will be revealed. One where sorrow and sin will be no more. And Christ began this work with his death and resurrection and will bring it to completion when he comes back. The song Joy to the World is hopeful as it shares of a time when nations will see the wonders of God's love. Now, believe it or not, Joy to the World also reminds me of a punk rock song by a band called Bad Religion. In 2002, Bad Religion released a song called Sorrow. And the chorus rings about a time when sorrow will be no more. It says, when all the soldiers lay their weapons down, or when kings and queens relinquish their crowns, or when the only true Messiah rescues us from ourselves, it's easy to imagine that there will be sorrow no more. For bad religion, when there is no longer war, when kings, queens, presidents, and rulers give up their power, there will be no more sorrow. And then interestingly enough, for a band who claims to be atheists, they say that the, when the one true Messiah rescues us from ourselves, there will be sorrow no more. As bad religions hopes for a time that there will be sorrow no more, joy to the world, and this passage from Hebrews claims that through Jesus, this will actually happen. And we get a glimpse of that redemption in the incarnation of Jesus. We see Jesus begin to put things in motion to redeem everything in this world. Jesus does this by the forgiveness of sins, but also through the liberation of the oppressed. So yes, joy to the world. One day the poor will inherit the kingdom of God. Joy to the world, the hungry will be fed. Joy to the world, those who weep will laugh in joy. And we will truly sing joy to the world. And yes, this is something to look forward to. But as Hebrews reminds us, Christ also came to meet some of those needs now. Christ wants us to feed the hungry now. Christ wants us to comfort those who weep today. Christ wants good news for the poor now. And we get to participate in that good and liberating news. For example, when I was in seminary, one of my classes we went down to Kanita, North Carolina to meet Reverend Richard Joyner. Now, Kanita, North Carolina is a population of about 300 people of mainly African Americans. And it's a classic food desert 
with the closest grocery store being 10 miles away. And when he, we visited him, he said that in the span of a year, with a population of about 300, he did 30 funerals, mainly for people under 40 because of diet-related issues. Joyner said he was depressed, and he pulled over in his car, and he prayed, and he said, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, God said to him, start a farm. And Richard Joyner hated farming. He grew up in it. And he did everything he could to leave it. So he went into ministry. He left farming, he left farming to go into ministry. Now God called him to start a farm. And so he listens to God's call. And now the Kanita Family Life Center includes a farm that is run by his youth group. More than 80 young people help Joyner plan and plant and harvest nearly 50,000 pounds of fresh food a year. Much of this produce is given away to local residents, but the students also sell food, including their own brand of honey, to businesses and restaurants, raising money for school supplies and scholarships. The children also learn how to cook the food in nutritious ways, steering their families towards better choices. And as a result, the whole community is healthier. And the first people to notice this was the local hospital. They noticed that the ER visits from people from Canada, North Carolina, dropped by 75%. So the hospital contacted CNN, and in 2016, Reverend Joyner was one of CNN's heroes. What Reverend Joyner does with this youth group, they help participate in the good and liberating news of Jesus in his community today. So yes, joy to the world for the future, but joy to the world for what they are doing today. Here at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, we also like to participate in the good and liberating news. You can see it with the work that our deacons do visiting the homebound, with meals on heels feeding the hungry, and our shelter hosting those experiencing homelessness. We do this alongside Jesus, our sibling, but also Jesus, our high priest, who ushers us into freedom. You see, yes, Christ will one day return, and it will be glorious, and we will truly sing joy to the world. Yet in the time being, Christ, that same Christ who is with us, wants to participate in the good news today. So friends, let us give joy for the Christ who is with us. Let us give joy to a Christ who is with us in our sufferings. Let us give joy to the Christ who brings us salvation in the future and today. Friends, joy to the world. God came in the form of a baby in the person of Jesus because God loves God's people. You are loved and through the grace of Jesus Christ, you are enough. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, 
followed by the word sermons to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons to 646-491-8331. Thank you.